Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of my best friends who was also in the military, a warrior, you know, and he just always constantly stayed on me. He's like, hey, man, you're screwed up. You need to get help. I'm like, everybody I know is like me. And he's like, well, you're all screwed up. You know, it's just like, <laughs> like right. you're screwed up, but you need some training, man. Like you got like, hey, there's stuff that we can do. And he was speaking from experience because he got in 2005, he got clipped in the head. Uh, with a bullet. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast with guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people who've overcome a variety of obstacles, including addiction, trauma, and mental health issues. And they've used these adversities as their greatest advantages to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Excited to be joined by uh, Tom Spooner, former Special Forces Delta operator and Warriors Heart co-founder and um, Thank you for, for jumping on. It's a real honor to speak with you, Tom. Absolutely, Jason. And uh, thanks, thanks for having me, man. Really looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into to Warrior's Heart. Um, tell people a little bit about it and, and what you're doing with, with veterans. I mean, we're talking PTSD, uh, addiction issues, you know, so much that when our, our fine soldiers come home that... Um, these are things that are not being addressed the way they should. Right. So absolutely agree. Uh, so Warriors Heart, we've, uh, <clears throat> we've been open since April of uh, 2016. So uh, right at almost six years uh, that, that we've had the doors open and uh, we've had almost 1,700 warriors come through uh, in that time. So, and that defined like the population that we serve is uh active duty, military, uh, retired military, and uh, active and retired law enforcement, firefighters, basically anybody that faces life and death uh, as a profession on a daily basis, you know, I mean, is who's qualified to come there. And um, so it's a 543-acre ranch in Bandera, Texas, which is about uh, about an hour northwest of San Antonio. Um uh, where a primary uh, chemical dependency, substance use disorder facility, but also co-occurring conditions, which we know is PTS, mild TBI, moral grief injury, and the, the whole alphabet soup that the yeah. doctors give us when we come, you know. So, and it's a 42-day inpatient treatment. Uh, tell me a little bit more about TBI. Oh, yeah, man. It's, um, so TBI is traumatic brain injury. So, mm-hmm. um it was one of the it's one of the signature injuries of say from 2001 to to 2012. You know, I mean, where 
a lot of guys, a lot of uh, IEDs, a lot of roadside bombs, you know, that was a very big tool that was used. And so, um, so where it goes back to is, is the uh, veteran suicide rate, you know, of 20 to 22 a day, depending on who you ask. And, um, and there's three main factors with that. And it'll get into the TBI piece of it okay. is, um, you know, one of them is uh, the chemical dependency piece. The other is uh, post-traumatic stress and everything related to that. And the third one is undiagnosed and untreated traumatic brain injury. Um which I'm like the poster boy for all of that stuff. Cause I got the, I got the hat trick, you know, as far as uh, I got the PTS, I got the chemical dependency. And then I got 2006, I had a, a mortar round explode to me, you know, 82 millimeter mortar round blew up about, uh, I don't know, 20 feet from where I was. So, uh, uh, so I got a traumatic brain injury and, and to your question of, Hey, what is that? You know, there's varying degrees of it, a very big one that is noticeable to all, you know, where, uh, Hey, you can't really function cognitively. You can't really move around. So it's basically brain damage what has happened. And then, um, when they get to the other end of the spectrum, where it's uh, mild and that kind of piece, it's really affects executive functioning, functioning mm. and decision-making. So, you know, whenever you have uh, some problems going on and you, you know, if it's PTS going on or you're using chemicals, uh, you know, self-medicating, you can see how that can go sideways because we know all those things, you know, um, don't allow you to make the best decisions anyway. And then when, you know, your thinker's messed up, you know, it, it just gets bad quick. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Is there, from from all the work you've been doing and in your own personal, God, of injury, suffering, I, I don't yeah. even know how to categorize it. Do, do you understand what parts of the brain that it's affecting? I mean, we've talked a lot about chemical addiction and recovery myself, knowing, you know, the effects on the hippocampus and all these important parts of our brain that the stress the brain is under with the overloads of cortisol and everything that soldiers are enduring when they're in the field, constant fight or flight mode and everything else. So with TBI, is it showing that it's, it's, even harder to deal with those things. Like you said, you know, normally a hat trick we want to celebrate, but this isn't one we want to celebrate, Tom. No, no, it's a, uh, yeah, it's not one to celebrate well-earned like any other hat trick, but yeah, it's a a lot more uh, different circumstances, but a big thing, uh, like what you were saying with, with the traumatic brain injury is the first part of it is, is getting the diagnosis because Mm. They'll say, um, not they'll say, and it's very accurate, you know, hey, you've got symptoms of post-traumatic stress or, or any just kind of stress going on. And then the uh, symptoms of traumatic brain injury, there's a part where they overlap, you know, mm-hmm. where the symptoms are kind of the same, where it's a little bit of the chicken or the egg. It's like, 
we know always know that high emotions, you know, intrude on cognitive abilities, right? Like right. don't make an emotional decision just on, you know, everybody knows that. So, you know, or is it like in my case, uh, which was a big part of it, it was the lack of my cognitive ability um, that brought on all the emotion. Uh, an example for that would be uh, I would get lost driving home. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, um, when I say lost, like I knew where I was, I, I was, you know, driving in the lane, you know, no, nothing dangerous, but I was like, man, I don't recognize this. And I'd driven the same route for 10 years. So <laughs> it's not, a, you know, so these different things would come up and, and it would be like, man, I know I'm supposed to know this, uh, but I can't recall it, which would increase my anxiety level, obviously, you know, sure. it's like, wow, man, this is a big deal. So, and then we know once your emotions start getting up there, that affects your cognitive ability. So it's just this little bit of a vicious cycle. So it comes back down to the, uh, just like with anything, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, you know, is that as best as you can, an accurate diagnosis uh, of what's going on. You know, yeah, and specifically yeah. with the TBI, they have a lot of very specific testing uh, that can be done you know, to see what part of your brain's like for me, when I, in 2010, when I was worse off 2010, 2011, I was operating at 50% uh, brain capacity, like processing speed and 50% of my verbal memory was all that I was getting. So you can just see where the frustration would come from that. So. And just in sharing that, Tom, I, you know, we, we had, um, Gosh, near the beginning of knocking doors down, one of my friends who was uh, in the Marine Corps who, who suffers from PTSD, and he talked about driving home one night, and his wife was like, are you okay? And he didn't realize he was driving down the middle of the two lanes because that's what they had to do in Iraq to avoid the, the landmines and everything else. And, you know, just how that part of the brain that that fight or flight, this is what my safety factor is and, and using so much capacity of your brain just to stay alive and keep your fellow soldiers alive that it's, it's almost like the brain has gone there and it just is, is sitting there. It, it, would you say that's kind of some of the things that was for you or other people that have come, come through the doors? Absolutely. And it's, uh, so it's a lot of it, uh, you know, some, some guys are on deployment for a year long, you know what I mean? Where they, so there's the normal human reaction of like, Hey, I've been doing this for a long time. So I, I got to work myself when you're changing a habit. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so then the other piece of it is that, that I've personally experienced and found with, with all the guys and gals that we work with is that, um, you know, we, they call it post-traumatic stress and okay, that's, that's accurate, but also really it is as it relates to any kind of trauma or stress that you've experienced is, is, is have I processed it? You know, have I, have I processed the emotional piece of it? You know, have I come to terms with it? Have I accepted it? Cause some people don't, you know I mean? Like me, you and I could be in the exact same event and, um, let's say in a wartime event and this traumatic event happens, then we, we can, we can, you might be absolutely okay. And like, wow, you just kind of process it. Next thing you know, it's something that jams me up and I kind of need a, a professional, you know, to kind of walk me through it. And, um, and a lot of that goes back to 
how we were raised, where we come from, core beliefs, all that kind of stuff, you know, but it's to your example, like, like what you said is to me, that's a perfect example of like, well, uh, there's some unprocessed trauma that's there uh, potentially. And maybe it's just part of the process of like, Oh, wow. You know, let me realize where I am, you know, be very present. No wonder so many of our veterans returning, or as you said, firefighters, police officers, EMT, uh, fall to substance abuse. You know, I know for me, it was unresolved uh, trauma. And yep. I was looking for an escape to avoid anything from those feelings that I was feeling that I did not have the capacity. There was no way. <laughs> exactly. And that's when I mean, you nailed it whenever, like you said, the first getting sober and, you know, not, it's like uh, in this environment, we, like we were untrained, you know, sure. we didn't, uh, we didn't have tools in the toolbox to how do I process a traumatic event? You know, how do I deal with feelings of shame, guilt, remorse, restless, irritable, discontent, like, a, a, like same as you, you know, I was in the same boat as like, hey, I didn't, and again, not, not blaming anyone. That was just, you know, how we came up. That was how they came up. And yeah. so that's why in recovery, you know, getting those tools, like how do I handle these feelings that I'm having? You know, I had to be taught that. I had to learn tactics and techniques, you know, and so those same train, training principles, you know, is what generally applies to, uh, to all the stuff, you know, whatever is trauma, whether it's childhood trauma or whether it's wartime trauma, um, there's some different approaches that there's some things that are different in the approach to that healing. And what I mean by that is, is, um, is whenever it comes to say, we'll call it post-traumatic stress or mm -hmm. unprocessed trauma, in that trauma, I was either one of two things. I was either a victim or a volunteer. Uh, and what I mean by that is a good one for me is like all my childhood stuff. Okay, I was a, I was a victim to that, right? I didn't, I didn't have any say, whatever. But then all the time, whenever I was in the military, you know what I mean? I volunteered to place myself in those positions where that trauma occurred, whether it was a mass casualty event, you know, whatever the event was. So even though principally, you know, I need tools, tactics, and techniques and training in how to process and, uh, and continue on, you know, and live with all that stuff. But if you approached me as a victim, you know, I'd, I wouldn't be having it, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Wasn't, wouldn't be the right approach. But if you approached me as a volunteer, like, hey, man, you, you made a decision to put yourself in this situation where it could occur. That's where it kind of, you know, the stigmas with post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury and, you know, and all that stuff, there actually should be a, uh, an award for it, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> because really what it means is, uh, is that like, wow, man, you volunteered to put yourself in a position that other people either could not or would not do that for the benefit of others. Uh, and, and therefore... Hey man, you you got a lot of trauma. Like that, it should be like congratulations, you you. <laughs> now with that, you know, it's like hey, we we need some more training and we need some tools and you know, because there always will be a stigma, right, of the tough guy approach, the old guard, all that, and that's okay. I mean, at one time I was one of those guys. I I get it. I don't judge. But what we're changing the narrative is is uh, and it's one of the mottos at Warriors Heart, you know, and that's strength through healing. Yeah, you know, it's like, hey, by by addressing what I have going on, 
it makes me stronger. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I was already a good soldier, a really good soldier for the first two years I was in the army, but then uh, I was a raging functional alcoholic, you know? <laughs> so, but once I got sober and I was still in the army, then man, you know, then I was able to take it to all the levels that I could because I was operating with everything that I had, you know, versus being, you know, chained down by self-medication or, or whatever else, you know? Well, let's, let's uh, jump back. Um, I know you, you, you mentioned childhood and maybe just in the the broad scope of it, but uh, what kind of, what was Tom Spooner like growing up home life? What really led you, uh, you know, in the military, but what was growing up like as well? Yeah. So I grew up in a little town, uh, on, in South Florida called Belle Glade, Florida. Pretty, pretty rough spot. Uh, yeah. But it was uh, always had really good, strong family. I, I come from a, an alcoholic home. You know what I mean? Again, it was that uh, in the South, in the country, you know what I mean? It was just kind of what, what it was. Uh, and it's, you know, like, like you had mentioned before, I hold no resentment and connection with what happened. You know what I mean? It's, uh, but I came up in a small town and pretty much in that small town, like the only ways out were uh, military or professional sports, you know, and uh, obviously I didn't make it. In professional <laughs> <sports>. <laughs> so it's, um, but my, my motivations were there uh, and, and I struggled with alcohol at, a, at an early, early age, you know, and then, mm. then throughout, like we had talked about, it's just, I didn't have the tools to handle emotions. And, and I had a really, you know, there was horrible times with alcohol, baby. I'd be lying if I didn't say like, Hey man, there was, it was good for, (laughs) you know, Tom, we had, we've had many celebrities, you know, like Charlie Sheen included. And he was like, Hey, there was a lot of fun that was had (laughs) until it wasn't fun. Exactly. So that my motivation. So that's kind of what the overall was going on. Um, uh, briefly. And then, but my motivators for joining the military was, uh, I had my grandfather that I was really, really tight with. Um, well, both of them, but one that I was really tight. He was a World War II veteran. Oh. And um, so there was that piece. And then another really mentor, you know, close, close person in my life was my uncle. And he was a three-tour Vietnam vet. So, you know, I had those people in my life. And um, and so I really, and I just, I just always wanted to join the military. That was, that was kind of it. That was my motivation. Number one, I always wanted to do it. And then, and whenever I was 20, I did it. I, I, I pretended to go to college for a year and a half, uh, got some credit somehow. It was basically a 364 day a year drunk, uh, <laughs> Yeah, not proud of it, but that's what happened. And I, and I was steadily going downhill, and I was like, man, I've I've got to get off of probation early. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'd already had it. I was in ROTC, and, uh, you know, so I was already going to be in the military path, but it was like, hey, I just walked in the recruiter, and I'm like, hey, man, I've already – like, you don't need to sell me on anything. Just get me, get me out of here, like, because I'd already knew I was going down – so that's really was my motivation uh, to come in. And I came in in 1990 and, uh, and that was when ever I was at basic training, uh, that's when the Gulf war kicked off. Right into it. I did. man. I went from basic training, you know, I'd already been to airborne school. So I went from basic training to, uh, Fort Bragg and right into the 82nd and within 
two months after graduating, I was in Saudi Arabia, you know, and then in Iraq, you know, straight from the street right into uh, combat, you know. So it was uh, a very, uh, hey, welcome. Yeah. Uh, And it set the tone for the rest of my career, you know, and how I wanted to be a soldier and stuff. That's a funny thing. And I'm pretty sure I'd have to confirm with them. I believe it was late 60s, early 70s. My uncle was in the 82nd. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I know that one. I'm pretty, I got a shirt, I bought, bought, yeah, bought yeah. the logo shirt. So I'm pretty sure it's the 82nd. I'm having a little bit of brain fog on that one myself. <laughs> you know, what was interesting you threw in there, Tom, was that, you know, that attempt, quote unquote, with college, but did you recognize it that early, you know, 20 years old? Hey, this alcohol thing is a problem. The solution I see is getting into the service to yeah, stop. Yeah, I, mean, I knew. Like, because uh, like we always talk about, not not every time did I drink, I did screwed up stuff. But every time I did screwed up stuff, I had been drinking. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah. So it was. Um, I mean, I was still doing okay, but um, you know, I started getting in trouble with the law. You know, what I mean, just nothing horrible, but just being drunk and get and and I fought a lot. You know, and it was just like, man you know, this is just not gonna, like, I really need to get into what I need to do, but not, I mean, I was one of those guys, man, I ended up getting sober when I was 22 years old. So in 1992, so I was, I was young, but it was, uh, you know, I was a mess. Uh, professionally, I was, I was, you know, built for the military and like, was crushing it. Uh, I did a lot in the first two years, but then my personal life, you know, I mean, I got married and then you know, we got separated. You know, it was just, I, I, I was just, uh, it was horrible, you know. Um, so I, I knew there was always a drinking was an issue and any problems or issues that I had in my life did, came as a result of that. But man, I just didn't want to stop because I, I didn't have an alternative like what you had said. I thought this is just the way it was, man. Like I'm going to be dead by the time I'm 22. You know what I mean? Like that was just... I didn't know about AA. I didn't know sobriety. I didn't know any of this stuff that was yeah. out there. You know, thank goodness for for technology, eh? <laughs> so we can have this conversation in different yeah. states. But you know, there's there's through voices like yourself and and so many other that at least it's becoming more aware that that help is there. You yes. know, hopefully we can shed that stigma, like you said. I, I, what was the uh, the um, slogan there, at Warriors Heart? strength through healing yeah exactly and that's the truth you know it's just not it's you know i mean it's just not like oh cool saying kind of thing man but but you and i both know that like yeah man through the healing whatever that was whether it was spiritual mental emotional physical you know but through healing is that's how i get stronger the knocking doors down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the carlos vera foundation and how it all started All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. 
For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Well, what for, for you, I know you mentioned the, um, the brain injury you sustained while in service, but what were some of the, uh, want to be respectful if it's not an area yeah. you want to talk about some, but some of the other things that you struggled when, Hey, it was time to come home and, and process some things. Yeah. So it was, I got uh, multiple stories for that because, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, I have the story of, I came in in 1990 in the 82nd, uh, as a, uh, uh, active alcoholic. Um, I did that for two, my first two years in the army, but I mean, like I said, professionally, I was highly, highly functional. I had been to ranger school. I'd been to jump master school. I got promoted to E5. Like I was a golden boy rock star. But then, like I said, the things that I loved in my life, like my wife, like, you know, I just killed it. So short version is, you know, uh, got involved in 12 step work, got a sponsor, all that stuff. And I got so so that's how I processed that initial wartime stuff was, you know, hey, I'm medicated and that, you know, did not work on the personal side for me. And eventually it would have caught up to me in the military. I'd have been drunk on duty out of, you know, and then, uh, but I got sober in 92. Then, um, and then I was in special forces from uh, 96 to 2001, uh, all sober, you know, and, um, and that was pre 9-11. So I, uh, uh, was just deploying to Central and South America, mainly teaching and uh, and those kind of things. But I was getting, you know, a lot of repetitions under my belt and a lot of good training on, you know, hey, how to deploy, how to come back, how to stay sober, working on all my emotional skills, process and all of that stuff. And then, um, you know, and then from 2001 until 2011 was whenever I was out at Delta, uh, out at the unit. And, um, and I ended up doing... Uh, 12 deployments, 40 months total time in combat. Uh, so, th- so then I have that experience, you know, and so to your question of the, uh, I tried coming home and self-medicating, you know, and that didn't work. So I got sober, uh, obviously a very long story in that, but a short version. And then uh, was in sober and then was in combat again and came back in, uh, in 2006 uh, was whenever I received the the traumatic brain injury that I didn't know. I mean, everyone that I had known had been blown up in in some some sort of way, you know. So it was like, okay, well, you know. Um, but I started noticing, um, you know, I me mean, my cognitive abilities slipping at time. Nothing that affected the job, but uh, just little things that would come up. Like it'd be a little bit more emotional, and then. I was involved in like three mass casualty events, you know, mm-hmm. so doing a lot of medic work that I highly trained as a medic, but I was operator. I wasn't a medic. So it, it affected me uh, greatly. And so, uh, so it started getting harder. Uh, you know, we had a lot of loss during the time that I was in, you know, from, especially from 2002 to, you know, 2010, there was, there was a lot of loss. There was a lot of combat, you know, that went on there specifically where I was working. Uh, lost a lot of friends, a lot get injured. And so uh, I started struggling a little bit more where um, huge family guy, right? My wife that I mentioned that we were separated. Uh, we ended up getting back together. We've been together now for 33 years. I have two boys uh, that aren't boys anymore. They're uh, <laughs> 23 and 20. But during this whole time, you know, my family, 
you know, I was very solid in my sobriety, very solid in who I am and what I stand for, you know, and, but what ended up happening was um, because I wasn't thinking straight and the accumulative effect of all those, we'll call them traumatic events, significant emotional events that work get processed. Uh, it started affecting my family life uh, where kind of the mission of the military was now creeping above my family. And I, and I realized it, but I just really didn't know, you know, how to stop it till the end. So I had a lot of, I had a lot of struggles, but me and my wife have wonderful communication. And then, you know, where it really changed for me was when my run was kind of done when I had 19 years in and, uh, and I had to decide if I was going to stay in, you know, or, or go ahead and retire. And, um, and so I said, yeah, I'll go ahead and retire. But then that's whenever they started doing all the medical testing, all the brain testing. They're like, wow, man, you're like really screwed up. Was that the official yeah. diagnosis, Tom? Yeah. It was like official where they're like, no more jumping, no more around explosives, no more. Like, cause I couldn't take another head trauma. Right. Uh, yeah. So it was, but yeah, it was kind of, not so much official words, but when they got the test results back, because, you know, where I, where I come from and who I work with, you know, we're pretty tough, you know, we're pretty good problem solvers, you know, we don't ever quit. Uh, we just try to figure it out, keep going, mission, 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 you know, all in a wonderful way. So that's, that's one of the things whenever, and you've experienced this too, you know, the hardest thing to do is, is to ask, you know, I mean, for help, you know, so especially with, this is what I always say is like, you know, a lot of people say, Hey brother, if you need me, you know, just let me know, you know, or if in the military is the command, it's like, Hey, if you need a break, just let me know. And it's like all the selections that I've been to and guys like me have been to, uh, you know, you go to those selection things and they produce a profile and they produce, produce a results. So if you can pass all these things and that means you're this type of a person and you think this way and you act this way. Well, the, the first two main things that that guarantees is, is that number one, I won't quit. Right. And then number two is I'll never ask for help. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the kind of person that is needed to do that, those particular jobs. Sure. So then you see how it's counterintuitive to say, Hey, if you need a break, let me know. And you're definitely, you know, you're, you're, put together in a way to be strong, like you said, and, and push forward and, not in these words, but ah, just get over it or throw it back there. Yeah. And our brains don't like when we just throw it back there. <laughs> yeah. There's like a, there's like a, it's like a warehouse, right? I sure. mean, you can throw it back there for a while, but eventually like it's going to start spilling out, you know, and, uh, and that's what ended up happening. The thing with me is, is that like, back to your question of the struggles, the biggest struggle that I had was, I mean, there was a lot going on. I was deciding to get now. I knew I had some work to do. Uh, I was still, you know, active in meetings, sponsoring guys, having a sponsor. I was I mean, down the checklist, crushing it. That's, I love it. But man, I was still going down, uh, you know, mentally and emotionally. And um, so it wasn't like, I, oh, I decided. So what was jamming me up was, uh, it's like, hey, how do I go from the guy that's helping everybody to now I'm the guy that needs help? Right. Uh, and I didn't mean that from an ego way, right. but meaning from a from a complex problem solving. It's like, hey, what 
what happened? Like, um, I'm not, I have a great lifestyle. I'm, my behavior is good. I'm a family guy. You know what I mean? It's not like I was doing anything behind the scenes. And, um, but the deal was, is I was, I had untreated, undiagnosed traumatic brain injury and then all the PTS. So it was only another one of my best friends who was also in the military, a warrior, you know, and he just always constantly stayed on me. He's like, Hey man, you're screwed up. You need to get help. I'm like, everybody I know is like me. And he's like, well, you're all screwed up. You know, it's just like, <laughs> like right. you're screwed up, but you need some training, man. Like you got like, Hey, there's stuff that we can do. And he was speaking from experience because he got in 2005, he got clipped in the head uh, with a bullet, you know, so it, it didn't penetrate the brain, but he had to go through all this TBI stuff when it wasn't really known much about it. So he sure, knew sure. what this I should get. And, uh, you know, and I was still going downhill and finally it was, it was like, uh, okay, man, I'll go get the test, you know, and then all the results came back. And then back to your question of that was, that was one of the hardest things to me. And a lot of times uh, what I've seen in others and, and a hundred percent for sure that was going on with me is uh, I, I was really thinking I wasn't the problem that you were. Right. You know? and, uh, <laughs> and that was, uh, you know, and I was sober. So it wasn't, and I had a lot of tools and I was like, man, why are y'all being this way? And then I remember having a conversation with my wife, you know, and, and I was like, I just looked at her cause it was still just so rough. And, uh, I was like, it's me, isn't it? And she's like, yep. Yeah. And I was like, dang it. So I ended up, you know, once I, I committed myself to my recovery the same way I committed myself to the military. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, mm -hmm. that run was over for me. Like what, what treatment? So, I mean, I ended up spending three months, you know, in cognitive therapy at the TBI clinic on Fort Bragg, you know? So I was doing cognitive therapy, vestibular therapy, uh, psychological therapy. And for me, I even had to get on like a light dose of Zoloft uh, for about eight months, you know, because I had a chemical imbalance going sure. on. I had a, <laughs> a lot of unprocessed trauma and I had a brain that wasn't really working that great. And it was a crusher for about four months, you know, uh, hitting all my appointments and then adding the recovery piece to it, meaning, uh, you know, for me, it's AA and everything yeah. that I do with that. But I just had dedicated myself, you know, it's like, uh, you know, hey, why am I doing this? And I always have had two reasons, you know, that's my family. And then the other one is for the guys uh, like me that are still suffering, you yeah. know, it's like, dang, man, I, I, ju I just love that aspect of what, what we do, what we're doing now and, and what we do on a nightly basis at my kitchen and what we do at Warrior's Heart is our lifestyle of like, Hey, do I, how do I continue to stay sober and then help others to achieve it? That's really my jam, man. It's, <laughs> it's obviously I'm into it. Right. And, uh, but I do, man, it's just, and it gives me this wonderful life that I could have never dreamed of. Yeah. There's tragedies. Yeah. There's, I still struggle a lot, you know, on a, on a lot of days, but, but I have purpose, you know, and I have, you know, I, I'm grateful you know, yeah. and as you know, that's a key thing is gratitude and purpose, you know, because yeah. when I get up in the morning, if I don't know why I'm getting up, then, you know, it's not going to be that great, you know. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that I, I had spoken at a high school class and 
a young lady had asked me uh, near the end of, of me sharing my story with them, uh, why do you say you're a grateful alcoholic? I said, because I completely lacked purpose prior to getting sober. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't the best dad. I was a terrible husband, you know, went through the divorce and everything else. And I'm like, it's, it's given me the chance to actually build a person that is of service. And for that, I'm grateful. Because, hey, that's why we say one day at a time. People are like, what does that mean? Well, I know I got today because I woke up. But I don't know what tomorrow brings. So, Oh, yeah. And that's, you know what I mean? And like you said, that just being the lifestyle. And that's what, uh, sure. you know, when we talk about it in, in recovery, you know what I mean? And struggles, but it, it applies, you know, principally it applies to everyone. Like, hey, when I get up, my feet hit the ground in the morning, like, and what is what is my what is my purpose? You know, at least a general direction of it going. And like you said, that's why I'm so grateful because because I have one. You know, I I've adopted one. I've chosen one that no matter no matter how bad I screw up in my in my life, you know, uh, which I've made some horrible screw ups in sobriety, horrible. You know, and it, those really suck because you can't say, well, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> There's no excuse. I made a conscious decision to do the wrong thing and followed through on it. Like, damn, that's a, that's a, that's a learner. That's a thing <laughs> right. if you've experienced what I have. And, but at the end of the day, knowing that, Hey, I have a purpose and my purpose, uh, you know, is to stay sober uh, mm -hmm. and to help others to achieve that, you know, and that's a lifelong effort and there's no short of humans that are in need of that. And I just love it. I always joke with people that I think everyone could use it going through uh, the 12 steps, like having a sponsor. It would be good for everybody, you know, regardless, you don't have an addiction issue. God bless you. Thank goodness you don't. But I think it would help everyone. It would. I'm 100% agree. It's like, I don't know, call it a life coach, you know, whatever yeah. you want to call it. It's like, uh, I 100% I, I agree with you, man. I mean, that's the vehicle. For me, that's my vehicle through life is the 12 steps. I mean, I still see psychologists when I need it. I still see my neuro psychs when I need, I mean, all the different specialties, but my vehicle, what keeps me on track and on purpose, you know, is practicing to the best of my ability, which is failure on some days, you know, the, is practicing the, you know, 10, 11, and 12 for me. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, man, and somehow, some way, none of my business. My business is just do the work. Uh, I'm not responsible for outcomes. I'm responsible for, like you said, that one day at a time. Like, man, get up, give it the best that I can, you know. And then uh, I love it, man. I'll start super geeking out and getting all passionate and like start <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, thank you, Bill and Bob. You guys knew some stuff. Thanks for putting in a book for us. Yeah. Tom, I know for, you know, my friends and family member that that went into the service and going through basic training, um, something I've always wanted to ask some, someone that, yeah. that um, has gone through, you know, the disease of addiction and, and found recovery. But do you think there should be a better approach when when the, you know, young men and women enter the military to kind of 
do a little more on wiping away some of the alcohol culture. I know for me, I went and visited one of my cousins when he was in the Air Force, you know, when you could still just be a, a general person and get on a military base. And th- it was like a frat house on the weekend, you yeah. know? And so it's, it kind of built that culture. And, you know, so many of my friends, whether they saw combat or not, or there was, you know, any sort of trauma, they still seem to kind of carry that even when they went back to civilian life of that alcohol culture or Mm -hmm. other drugs for that matter. Right. I think it's, um, again, back to that, that profession, that class, whether it's uh, people in the military, cops, firefighters, there's a big part of alcohol that is, uh, that is part of that culture. And I'm, and I'm not the alcohol police. I know you're not either. You know what I mean? We won't stand for it as alcoholic. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. uh, anti. But that's where to me, and I always say that when I'm talking to military folks or anybody in the population where it's like, you know, where it's like, yeah, they, they might could. And, and to be honest with you, because I've, I've been around that culture since 1990, it has shifted a lot. Uh, mm. you know what I mean? As far as what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, mm. um, they moved the needle a lot compared to what it was, you know, uh, as far as overall. Um, but that, you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of where it comes down to. It was where, man, it'll always be, you know, a big part of that culture. Right. And, uh, and a lot of folks that join the military, you know, and those different services, they kind of come from that kind of, background already so it's kind of like preloaded and um and it's kind of accepted as long as you're it's not interfering with your job and it's always such a i think your question was should that be curbed or not yeah or at least maybe some sort of awareness to you know the the young individuals as they enter the military because like you said you hit a great point there's so many they're entering the military much like you did that it was this this is my way out. Okay, this is where I can find purpose, you know, literally be a service man or woman. And but they do come from some of these trauma backgrounds, be it within the home, you know, uh, neighborhoods, uh, yeah. you know, so much of our country is dilapidated, uh, you know, urban neighborhoods where, you know, there's there's already I know one buddy I can think of. He was like, well, my friends have already been shot. At least now I'll have a job in insurance and, and healthcare, you know? So he yeah. went to military route. It like for him, that was literally his mindset. You know what I mean? A lot for a lot of folks, you know what I mean? It's, it's the out. And then whenever it comes time to the, uh, and I'm just speaking mainly for, I'll speak in my own experience, right? Which is what they call combat arms, you know, folks mm-hmm. that are, you know, doing the fighting and everything. And a conversation usually comes up about, you know, like, hey, they prepare you for war, but they don't prepare you for outside of the war, right? And um, and that's true. And uh, and I agree with that because I know how hard... Uh, so here's the deal with our military and specifically our combat arms. And, uh, you know, and that is, is that it is designed to do one thing, and that is to kill the enemies of our country. Yeah. That's what being an infantryman is like, an artilleryman, a tanker, like... The guys that are like in like that's make no mistake, like that's your job description. Uh, mm-hmm. So to prepare a human being to 
basically go against humanity. Like, uh, you know, I mean, what's a, I mean, my personal belief is humans aren't supposed to hurt other humans. I mean, I really believe that. However, we live in this world and we know that there's a need for someone to stop human beings from hurting other human beings. So it's that that piece of it. So it takes everything that the military does just to prepare them for that piece. In an ideal world, um, you know, whenever it's post-military, hey, you didn't get any training on how to live in the outside world. So that's where the VA, Veterans Affairs, is going to take over in theory, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you'll never hear me bad-mouthing the VA because there's incredible, incredible humans that work in the VAs. Absolutely. Um, but, but the system itself is, is completely overwhelmed with the last 20 years or more. And then we still have our Vietnam veterans that are still in there. So, but that's how it's kind of supposed to be. People will get on a tangent on like, well, the military trains them to do all this stuff and then they just send them out. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, but the, you know, the VA is overwhelmed and not covering down. I mean, that's why warrior's heart came into existence. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we weren't trying to uh, a better widget or try to, you know, make something kind of smoke and mirrors a little bit better. It's like, Hey, there's a gap here. It's like, the veteran suicide rate is 22 a day. Like if, if what we were doing was working, then that wouldn't, that wouldn't be happening, you know, simple problem solving. Right. And this, and so what we found out is, is that the majority of the people that, that do end up committing suicide, taking their own life, a huge percentage of them, I won't say all, cause I don't know for sure, but a huge percentage were under the influence of something when they did the final act, you know, and, um, and most of the most of the folks that doing it, it's not a cry for help or anything like that. Like they just do it, right? So yeah. you can't really get in front of that. And uh, but if we address the chemical, the self medication aspects of it, you know, then ideally we don't get to that spot where they're medicated and take their own lives. You know, that's and that's why with Warrior's Heart, that's one of the big things that we do, because usually in this population, they send, they silo everything off. Like, Hey, you go here for your chemical dependency, right? Don't talk any about that war stuff and PTS. Like, so we'll talk about your chemical dependency piece. And then if you go to PTS therapy or something, they're like, well, don't bring that chemical stuff up. You know, we're focusing on mental behavior. It's like, come on, man. Like we're one person. This <laughs> Yeah. It's back to the chicken or the egg. Is it the drinking and drugging that's bringing up the unprocessed trauma and emotions? Or is it the unprocessed trauma that forces the drinking? It's like, who cares? Treat them both. So that's what we do at Warrior's Heart. We they have a licensed chemical dependency counselor and they have, you know, behavioral health slash trauma counselor. So we hit at both aspects uh, because we have to. There's no... <laughs> Like we have to deal, you know, the tools with the chemical dependence and when we know it's all connected. So that's one of the things that makes it different. And again, that just comes from our own personal uh, experiences. You know, we're, we're, it's holistic, meaning like we're a whole person, you know, that's why we hit it hard on the therapies. We hit it hard on the groups. And that's also why we have a wood shop and a metal shop and an art shop. You know what I mean? An extra gym time, you know what I mean? For this population, it's like you have to be able to 
decompress and to process and to create. You know, we spend so much time destroying and breaking things, even as our profession, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not to mention the family stuff and everything like that. It's like, it's like, how do I create, you know, uh, I and we all know the healing properties that occur from artistic work and working with Absolutely. your hands and, you know, and just getting all of that out. So it's yeah, music, whatever it is, there's with all this stuff that goes on in the world, man, we just don't spend enough time of, of, uh, how many awesome people are in the world. You know what yeah. I mean? That are really like really trying to like no kidding help out other human beings, not with some program and you know what I mean? But I mean like a human being, like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, what do you need? Want a cup of coffee? Like, let's just have a, a human conversation. You know, <laughs> I have a lot of hope that it's funny Tom. I don't know about you. Once we kind of, um, Start started getting back to uh, you know some more normalcy, whatever normalcy is, and, and I'm I'm hopeful that I'm seeing a shift in people towards the last couple of years has taught us a lot about being more kind, not just to mm-hmm. others but to ourselves as well. Because you and I know the the better we are to ourselves as far as what we say to ourselves and how we treat ourselves, it, it spills out into the rest of the world. Completely. And on that point, man, that was another learned skill for me. Mm. Uh, because before, if you would have said to me like, hey, Tom, you need to take care of yourself. You need to be kind to yourself. I would immediately think, man, that's selfish and self-centered. You know, I need to be working with, with helping others and doing that kind of stuff. But it's like you said, it's that combo. But I didn't know crap whenever, you know, I started this whole thing process years ago you know and i had to really be taught this like yeah like what you just said the only way that i can be kind to others and really make a difference is if i'm being kind to myself they kind of work hand in hand you know and that's how i i'm a team guy right um to you know i i don't mind letting myself down but i refuse to let you down right Uh, that's just was always my mindset so i use that same mindset to uh to trick myself into taking care of myself because I know that like, uh, Hey, Teddy or Jimmy or Fred, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, those guys are going to be calling me tomorrow. You know, we got step work to do whatever. I'm like, dang, I got to get on my game. You know what I mean? If I've been <laughs> like, man, like if I'm not taking care of myself, then I won't be here for these guys that need me. And I don't like letting the team down. So that's to me, like, um, for for my wiring being of a service minded, it's not natural for me to take care of myself. So I have to, I really have to put forth a lot of effort of sure. self care, like you said, and being kind. And that's man, that is like, that's a whole lifestyle. Those two words, like just be kind, man. You don't have to jump tall buildings with a single bound and like give this money and change the world. Like, just be nice to somebody, man. Like. Yeah. I don't know. Don't be mean. Um, <laughs> don't, we, we like to say in one of my groups, hey, don't be a dick today. Exactly. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> you know, it's simple. I know. And I know it's tough. We all get in our emotions. But hey, speaking of team, how did you meet uh, John and Lisa Lannon that uh, helped you helped you start Warrior's Heart? Oh, my gosh, man. It all comes back to, I mean, for me, it's all higher power and God thing. So how I met Josh Lannon was... In 2013, 
you know, I was obviously still active in recovery, but that was just me and my guys and local and everything. And uh, I was uh, working on a, a training company at the time. I uh, was teaching law enforcement. And then we'd have these fun and guns where uh, I, that's what I called them. But it was a training event, very uh, hard, very, uh, uh, it was a really good event. And um, so we ran a three-day one for uh, the YPO Network, uh, Young Presidents Organization. And um, it was about 10 guys that showed up for a two-and-a-half-day event. Super tough. And, jo- and so I met Josh in the woods in Hoffman, North Carolina, just out of Camp McCall. Uh, he came there to get some military track training. Uh, I was putting on the training because I had to pay the freaking bills. You know what I mean? <laughs> we met there. He had run re him and his wife, Lisa had, had run six other treatment facilities, you know, in Utah and Arizona. And, uh, and they wanted their next one to be a veteran healing center. And we met and we did a warrior's experience and story time. And, uh, and then we had the conversation of like, Hey man, do we want to do this together? And I'm like, hell yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> yeah. So we're perfect partners because what I bring to the table, they don't bring to the table and what they bring to the table, I don't. Right. And uh, so that's what makes for perfect partners is, is I can do what you can't and you can do what I can't. Therefore we are both very necessary to one another. um, And that's how we met, you know, and that's how we've operated, you know, since man. And it's just really, really cool. How many uh, folks have you, you have a rough number of how many people do you think you've serviced to date? Uh, we're right at 1700 to date. And like currently, you know, we have right around 50 in-house right now, you know, setting there, you know, in the training program, you know, I mean, getting that piece. We've got right at 20 that are in our sober living because we have intensive outpatient, we have sober living and we have inpatient, you know, mm. and, uh, so we're actively involved, you know, in that fight uh, every seven days a week, 24-7, you know. And, uh, and, and as far as you coming out there, you let me know when. Because, uh, like, talking about it is one thing, but actually when you stand, set foot on the property and then you sit in the, you know, in the, in the lunchroom, you know, with 40 other folks in there, and then we go to the metal shop and hang out by the lake, I mean, you can just – yeah, you let me know when you want to come, and 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 we'll ha- we'll be ready. All right, I'm all about it. Uh, if people want to know more about Warriors Heart, Tom, uh, how can they do so? The best way to do it is just go to warriorsheart.com. That's the most simplest, easiest. There's phone number there. Uh, you can reach out via text. You can reach out via email because some folks don't want to get on the phone. So every avenue that you would like to approach it and to find out more about it and what the programs are like. I would say the best way to do it is with warriorsheart.com. You see that number, call it, and you'll talk to an admission advocate. And they will immediately start advocating and answering any questions that you have. Like, don't try to figure it out on your own. Like, just call, you know. Uh, have they'll a conversation, huh? That's it. Just have a conversation. That's all. I know that there's, there's donations that come in, but how do you guys go about fundraising? Maybe if somebody wants to donate as well, is that a, available there at warriorsheart.com? Uh, whenever you'll go to, that's a separate entity and that's Warriors, okay. uh, Warriors Heart Foundation. Yep. So the foundation supplements take helps part of that. When necessary. Yep. 
Awesome. Is there any uh, um, other outreach, maybe external of uh, like that Warriors Heart Foundation does within communities that aren't just at the uh, the location? Yeah, the Warriors Heart Foundation piece is also helps to uh, fund service dogs because we also have a canine uh, program at Warriors Heart. That's another uh, elective that we have. It uh, we also involve the in local. Uh, like local law enforcement, San Antonio Police Department. Uh, so it's really, really, really involved in the community also. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Tom, uh, I think it's time for some fun, random questions. What do you okay. say? I'm All ready. right. Uh, tell, us, tell us one thing people would be surprised to learn about you, be it a hobby or whatever it could be. Uh, this is the one that I found that surprises people the most. And I don't, I don't really know why, but it's uh, like I love uh, reading uh, sci-fi fantasy, you know, Lord of the Rings type, Dark Elves, you know, yeah, or yeah. Cocktails, uh, mages, wizards, warlords. Uh, I, that's, that's what I read at night to unplug. And like that's part of my routine of, of going to bed. And uh, I dig it. Yeah. So mo- most people don't uh, know that. And the ones are pretty surprised hey tom it's okay i built legos <laughs> so that was one of my first sponsors what did you love to do as a kid the first thing i said was legos it got me a gift card so now i've got two bookshelves of star wars legos and race cars i, I love um, the other thing just real quick is kind of funny too as a man i love playing video games really <laughs> oh yeah are we a yeah. classic video game or is it you know newest system or what, I would say that I like the uh, the Call of Duty Modern Warfare, uh, like the interactive online, you know what I mean, where you're going against and everything. Yeah. yeah. I, it's again, it's another complete uh, unplug for me, man. And, and it's fun. And I've always been a video game guy throughout, you know, enjoyed it. And, uh, and I still continue with that. Is that just fun to get on with the buddies and talk crap and everything else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flying, man. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, the closest that I got to it in real life was, you know, free falling, you know, sure. which is, you know, is, is a bit of flying, but, uh, and I'm really into freedom. And uh, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, I'd fly, man. What was your highest jump? Um, 26,000 feet. Wow. Yeah, that's a, right at a two minutes. You're falling, you're falling to the earth and flying for uh, for two right right at two minutes. That gives me the chill because I've always wanted to skydive and yet I'm afraid of heights. But everyone says that's nah, totally different. I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that <laughs> one like twenty six thousand is like oxygen and everything, right? And all that, right? But the normal ones, you know, normally it would be between ten and eleven thousand and. Uh, yeah, man, it's, I loved it. Like, I, I, I still love it, but I, I had to stop doing it. Um, just because, again, the he- I can't, it can't, I can't justify, you know, uh, another, you know, getting jacked in the head again, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, what is it that they call that when it's, when you have to use oxygen for the jump? There's a term, like helo jump, or? They call it a, well, it's, halo is high altitude, low altitude. Okay. 
So it's free fall. So it could be anywhere from, you know, I mean, 3000 feet up to, you know, 26,000 or even a little bit more feet, but that's high altitude is where you jump from. And then, and then you have a low opening. So you open it. They also have what's called a hey ho, which is high altitude, high opening. So if you were to jump out at 25,000 feet and then you opened up your parachute at 24,000 feet, and then you basically fly that canopy, you know, for miles and miles and miles. So those wow. are just two different techniques with that. Ah, uh, well, I, I might just have to hit you up there on social media just so we could talk. Like I said, I'm so fascinated <laughs> with, with the military training and technology. Um, Oh, this is one that I always enjoy. If you could have dinner with any one person, living or not, who would it be? It would. The first one that comes to mind uh, is uh, Denzel Washington. Really? Why is yeah, that? Love him as an actor. I just uh, the movies that he's been in, uh, how he acts. Uh, never met him before in my life. You know what I mean? But that was, uh, yeah that that would be. That would be super interesting. And then just all the stuff that I've seen, like in different interviews and when he spoke at colleges and how he's helped out with, uh, you know, really on the on the quiet end with a lot of military stuff, too, and, and military families. And uh, and yeah, so that would be it. Yeah, it seems like such a fascinating man. I agree with you there. Um, okay, it, being that y- your story is definitely interesting, if there was a movie made about your life, who would you want to play you in the movie? Chris Hemsworth. Is that All his right. name? That was who was Thor, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's been in Extraction, different movies. Yeah, I would say that'd probably be close. I dig it. That's perfect. All right, Tom. Um, we You've always like... asked that question before. That awesome. <laughs> well, now you can share with the missus. Hey, this goofy guy in California asked <laughs> who who should play me if a movie was made about my wife. How about this? Who would you have play your wife? That's an interesting one. Wow. We'll have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got to seek <laughs> ask her approval on that one first. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it neutral right now. <laughs> That's the same answer I would get and say, let me ask a girlfriend what she says. Uh, Tom, if uh, you can leave just anyone, uh, any kind of advice, you know, people that are struggling, no matter who it is, or military personnel, former EMT, whatever, just. And the, the number one thing is, uh, is you're not alone. That to me, uh, a lot of that's because of my personal experience, because I, I thought I was alone. You know, I didn't think anyone was suffering as much as I was. I didn't think anyone was damaged as I was. I didn't, you know, all of those things is that I, I really didn't think anyone could help me uh, at different parts of my life. And so that was the biggest message. Uh, it's kind of, kind of sounds cliche, but, but it's not. I mean, it with all my heart, like, it's really know that, that you're not alone. And then, uh, and then whether you're the person that's struggling or the family member, like I said, just, just create momentum, you know, reach out, you know what I mean? To whatever the ailment is and uh, whatever's going on, because like to what we were saying, there's a lot of really good hardworking human beings that just, just want to help folks uh, like us, like uh, that just, just want to do better. You know, they're there, but a lot of times we may have to fight for it. You may have to fight for it. You may have to really, look for it, but just don't give up, you know, uh, and know that you're not alone, like stay in the fight and, uh, and just keep pushing a little bit more. 
Mr. Spooner, thank you. This has been a real honor and a privilege. Uh, same here, Jason, and I'll be happy to come back anytime uh, and you'd like me because we just basically scratched the surface and I'm looking forward to seeing you out at Warrior's Heart. I sure hope so. I need a vacation in Texas is what I got on the list. Win-win. Here at Knocking Doors Down, we share the stories of people who overcome adversity. You know that already, but what you may not know is that our partners at the Carlos Vieira Foundation aim to help people who struggle with their own adversities as well. The Carlos Vieira Foundation helps those in need through their race for autism, race to be drug free, and race to end the stigma campaigns. You can also choose the Carlos Vieira Foundation as your charitable organization on Amazon Smile to contribute as well. To learn more and support these causes, check out all the info at carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.